This is Tasting Together. Toronto's News, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Happy December, everyone, and welcome to Tasting Together on 640 Toronto. I'm your host, Maroki Tong, and I'm joined by my co-host, Andre Pru, to chat about all things food and drink in the GTA. Andre, have you started prepping for the holidays yet for food? I have started to think about maybe prepping things for the holidays. I've purchased a handful of ingredients. I do a little bit of Christmas baking in my house. Uh, which I have a really good story about if you want to if you want to hear it about how I ended up being a Christmas baker. But uh, how about you? What are you doing? Are you already shopping for your Christmas spread? Well, I'm going to be spending the holidays this year on a beach. So no, <laughs> I am I am going to let someone else make my Christmas spread for me, I think. <laughs> oh, you're lucky. You're very lucky. Makes a lot of pressure off. I guess so. I mean, that's the sort of thing, too, where it's December's been creeping up on us so quickly. And I don't know about you, but it just it does feel like there's a little bit of extra Christmas spirit in the air. I think it's just having a few Christmases be a little weird because of the pandemic and what's going on. This finally feels like the first Christmas where things are a little bit normal, doesn't it? I do think so. I think, you know, we're seeing a lot more holiday activities that you can do, whether outdoor or indoors. And I think people are beginning to have some more mindful gatherings and, you know, people can finally see each other again. So I think that makes everyone a little bit excited, but it it can also mean maybe we're not ready to, (laughs) maybe we're not quite ready to like be the hostess with the mostest anymore. Oh, totally. Well, I mean, the catchphrase for 2022 has definitely been supply chain issues and I know that when we get my family together, it might make just a drinking game about that if we start talking about how our years have gone. If anyone says supply chain issues, they're going to have to take a shot of something. That's for sure. Right? Like, you know, I wonder if anyone has started trying to do some holiday shopping and realizing that half their friends may not receive their gifts on time anyways. It's like Christmas gift may arrive mid-January. Yeah. Which I guess would be a nice thing to receive in (laughs) mid-January, right? It's the thought that counts. It's the thought that counts. Yeah. I mean, so, okay. So one thing I wanted to talk to you about a little bit is, uh, it's something I can't really, really fathom, is having someone else cook my my Thanksgiving dinner for me. Granted, if I was going on a hot holiday, take me with you. Uh, I would be more than happy to do that. But I mean, just getting home for the holidays, it's something that I love cooking the, the turkey spread for my family. But I know if you are planning on having someone else cater it for you, cook it for you, you need to start thinking about this right now. Absolutely. And, you know, we always want to be really mindful that in the world of hospitality right now, it's quite severely understaffed. So, you know, it would it actually helps restaurants a lot if you tell them in advance so they can prepare um, their ingredients and the amount of staff that they need to have on board and the amount of time that they need to get out orders in in time for your holidays. And I mean, I'm, I'm sure a restaurant could say they they could cut you off if they, you know, like take a certain amount of orders so they sold out. But everyone wants to do their best. Everyone wants to ensure that you have a happy holiday. So, I mean, that, that is, I think, the reason why we're letting people know that they should be thinking about this right now. And I've, I, have, yeah. I have a short list of just a few places where you might want to get your orders in early if you want to do that. But supply chain management, there you go. If, if we're making a drinking game at home, there's your first one. Supply chain management is something that these restaurants are going to be dealing with over the holidays. So make sure you're patient when you're placing these orders. But I, I did some quick Googling because I was just like, if I decided to order, what would be the, the best place to order from? And um, in my Google searches, the Fairmont Royal York popped up. 
and from Rain Restaurant in the Fairmont Royal York, you can actually order your entire uh, your entire turkey spread from them. And they've, they've got pickup times on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day to uh, let them do the cooking for you. That's also a good thing for people who, let's say, aren't having the largest gatherings. Or maybe, you know, we I think we make a lot of assumptions that everyone has, you know, large friends and families to gather together. But, you know, the reality is there's probably a lot of people who are spending the holidays in smaller groups or possibly even alone. And this could be something that could bring you a little bit of holiday cheer without you needing to cook a whole turkey all by yourself. Um, <laughs> I, I will I'll use a personal experience for that. Um, last Christmas, we had a family emergency and a lot of my family members didn't come home for the holidays. And um, it ended up just being myself, my partner and my sister. And we were in the middle of managing a really large move on behalf of my family. And, you know, we wanted the turkey dinner and, uh, you know, the turkey, the cranberry sauce, all the all the bells and whistles, but we didn't want to make a whole monstrous meal on our own. Plus we were so stressed. So we actually got um, a catered holiday meal from a uh, little mushroom catering, which was a local business in Kitchener, Waterloo. And it was fabulous. Showed up on our doorstep. We didn't have to do the work and we got a little bit of everything. I really love that story. I, I mean, I've had stories like that in my in my younger years, like working on, on Thanksgiving or working around the holidays. And like, I, I've done the thing where I bought a chicken and cooked it like a turkey. And it's, it's a consolation prize. It's not quite the same thing. Uh, but I mean, I think for a lot of people, it's just like that, that whole Christmas meal is a big part of like pulling the holidays together. Uh, a couple of other places, just so we can we can move on, is uh, also Oliver and Bonaccini and McEwen Catering have options to order. So if you're thinking about ordering your your Christmas spread, having someone else cook it for you, you got to get your order in now so that these restaurants can prepare the meals for you. And if anyone who's listening in has a favorite place and you'd want to share it with us, you can always drop us a line on our Instagram, Andre at Andre Wine Review, or myself at Nine Ounces, please. And we'd be happy to give a shout out. You know, we love supporting our local businesses. And Andre, there's a number they could text in too, right? For sure. You can text in at 416-870-6400. That's 416-870-6400. I hope for most people talking about uh, Christmas dinner on the 3rd of December isn't too early for them. But the reason we're doing that is because, Maroki, you have your own personal experience with what happens if you don't plan your Christmas dinner in advance. Yeah. And hilariously enough, I wasn't actually calling in to order for Christmas. I was calling in for myself. So I think it was December 21st or the 22nd. Um, I had this hankering for oysters. It was just one of those like, I'm near Christmas. I just really want to have some oysters tonight. And I wanted to do some oysters um, to go like, you know, they can come in on a night on a nice ice tray. And I just want to enjoy it by myself with my partner. And so I looked up Oyster Boy and I gave him a call. And I went straight to voicemail. <laughs> the voicemail is the owner. I'm pretty sure it's the owner just saying, so if you're calling me, you're probably one of those people who's left your holiday planning to the very last minute. And you're trying oh, to call no. us now to see if you could get oysters. I'm listening to this voicemail. Just feel I wasn't even ordering for holidays. And I just felt so terrible. I was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> and they're like, so you can tell us if you want something, but we may or may not get back to you. Bye. <laughs> like that was the voicemail. And I just remember feeling very schooled in that moment. Just, you know, just such a stark reminder of how hard these people are working behind the scenes to try and just get these holiday orders for the last minute. And very clearly also reminding me that 
once you call at that time, nothing is guaranteed and you have to be okay with that. A hundred percent. I just, I appreciate the sass from the voicemail at, at Oyster Boy. And it's just, it's, I think it's one of those things where, you know, I appreciate it when there's, there's restaurants where they, they give it just that brutal honesty. I, I do like that. I think during the pandemic, the whole attitude of the customer is always right. It has disappeared a little bit and I'm actually, I'm actually okay with it. I think that when you set foot in a restaurant, you should be compassionate and have an understanding of how hard these people are working, especially after a pandemic. Um, and if you're not there to play, then I think you deserve whatever you get from the people working at the restaurant. I mean, it's really no different than if you're trying to get your holiday shopping on Christmas Eve and you may not get the gift that you had in mind for someone, right? If something's out of stock or if a store closes, it's, you know, we... Christmas is like Christmas, the holidays, Hanukkah, all, all of the holiday seasons have occurred for a long time. And I think by yeah, now we should know when they're should, taking place. We should know. We should know. It's almost like if you don't get your winter tires on before the snow comes, you might have made your bed. Yeah. Speaking of Christmas and what might be coming up, I'm actually really excited about the next segment. I don't know about you, but I'm someone who barbecues year round, regardless of the cold. I know we've talked in previous episodes about my childhood in Saskatchewan, so the uh, Ontario cold doesn't bother me. But I think something that might be on my Christmas list is um, a new barbecue that's being created by a well-known Toronto chef. And he will be joining us right after the break on Tasting Together 640 Toronto. Welcome back to Tasting Together, Toronto's news, today's talk, 640 Toronto. Welcome back to Tasting Together. I'm your host, Andre Pru, and I'm joined by my co-host, Maroki Tong. Maroki, are you ready to talk about some barbecue? Yeah, and I, I, I feel like I actually might have something to say about it this time, Andre, because uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was in Texas in September and... I tasted a lot of barbecue to see what the hype was all about. You know, before we get to your story about Texas, because I have my own story as well about my experience in the States, we are joined by uh, Matthew Basile, who is a local chef, and I guess now barbecue inventor. Is is that what you would be, say you're doing these days, Matthew? <laughs> uh, actually, so my my official title is, uh, so I'm a co-founder in the, uh, the new startup Alchemy Grills. We're a, a local Toronto-based well, technically Stovall-based, um, live-fire barbecue smoker company. Um, but my my kitschy cool title um, is Creative Firestarter. And the, <laughs> the thinking behind that is my role within the company is not only as the, the head chef, so it's a very culinary-focused role, but it's also a very content and, and marketing-focused role as well. So everything I do starts with lighting a fire every day. And I was like, well, I'm a big fan of the of the band Prodigy, so why not uh, do a little, little, you know, nod to that, and uh, that's where I came up with this creative fire starter uh, kind of role for myself. So I took a look at the Alchemy Grill on your website, and what I really like about it is how it looks. It's like very, very sleek, like sort of like a like an egg shape, and I noticed that on the top there's there's a flat grill, which is really great for me because putting it out there, I'm a full barbecue novice. I always hate losing things between the grill rack. <laughs> you know, we all have our pain points and you have yours and we, you know, and, and it happens, right? I think, so what you're referring to is the, the plancha. That's the flat top grill uh, that sits on, on top. What, what makes our, our grill so unique, it's actually um, it's two units 
built in, in one. We're, we're the world's first, and we've engineered it this way so we can actually make this claim. Uh, we're the world's first simultaneous smoker and live fire grill. So there's a lower unit that's a stackable smoker, and you can smoke your ribs, your chicken, your brisket, whatever you, you, you want to smoke at, at around 250, 275. But a separate fire can be built on that upper unit that you're referring to. Um, and that can that can cook uh, super hot and fast. So around five, 500 degrees, 600 degrees, whatever you want. And the front half of the bowl is a is a flat top plancha. And then the back half is a, a diamond uh, plated kind of grill top. So it allows you to really, you know, cook over fire in a few different ways. Interesting. I know that over the past decade, barbecue and smoking has really just exploded all over the food scene. And not just in restaurants, but for people who like to cook at home. And, you know, thanks to people like Aaron Franklin, who are internationally known. Um, you know, I think it's still just getting more and more popular. What is it about barbecue that people just are really attracted to? That's a great question. You know, I think live fire cooking and barbecue cooking is quite communal in nature and i think it naturally brings people together and when we're, we're dining at home uh whether it's for a large group or a small group an intimate group whatever it is there's something very comforting about that type of cuisine and i think what's even more amazing is here we are 10 years after that you know and by after that i mean after this kind of renaissance of barbecue we're now in a place where we're saying, okay, well, what else can be cooked over fire? Maybe it's not just brisket, ribs, and pulled pork. Maybe it is things like, you know, I made smoked squash gnocchi uh, completely over fire uh, using the alchemy grill. I, I made, you know, um, shikshuka. I love brunch. You know, we were a, a really popular brunch spot back in the day with Lisa Marie. So I, the fact that I've been able to bring brunch kind of to, to live fire cooking and barbecue has been a lot of fun. So I think now we're in the, the experimental phase of it, right? What else can be done um, to really maximize flavor and bring people together? I really like what you say about community and gatherings because my partner Eric has the story about how his uncle does these big family barbecues in the winter in upstate New York where he has this large property and they just clear a little space out near the barbecue and they just keep going in the cold, which I kind of fun that you can just kind of barbecue uh, all four seasons of the year now one thing i know about barbecue though is that it's very time consuming and you just have to like keep loving it and loving it and loving it for hours and hours and hours so if you're new to barbecue like what's the best way to get into that especially when there's so many different methods of approaching barbecue i think that's a great question i think it's you know first and foremost what's a good entry-level recipe and really figure out maybe four or five recipes that you think that you can you can master uh, because there can be some quite defeating moments in barbecue, especially some of the harder, longer smokes, right? Like your briskets, your beef ribs, uh, et cetera. Like when you, you know, you put the meat into your smoker or your barbecue and you're just kind of hoping for the best because you're not going to be you know, pulling it out again for another eight to 10 hours. So I think I can't even really imagine. I yeah, can't even yeah. imagine opening something, and if it's gone wrong, I'd probably just burst into tears and just yeah, cry right? like all day. It's very defeating, you know. So I think it's really, really interesting. I always tell people take notes, you know, write down what works, write down what doesn't work, and then the next time you approach it, just implement those kind of uh, those ideas because it will make better barbecue or better, you know, live fire cooking as a result of it. 
And I think too, like stuff like, you know, having having fun with the 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 machine that you're using as well allows you to not make it feel like it's work, right? Mm-hmm. You don't want to make it shouldn't feel like a task because then why are you doing this? You're you know you've committed time, you've committed money. You know you don't want to ruin food. You got to feed people at the end of the day. So if you're not having fun, then you really have to ask yourself, you know, why didn't you just order a pizza? And and I think it's it, it's very true. Like it, it is not necessarily a, a quick instapot kind of approach to cooking. I think it is more of an enthusiast approach to cooking. I think you do have to love it to a certain degree and want to learn and and better your skill set because you know it's it, it's meant to be fun. It's meant to be a, not only a meal and functional, but you should have a good time. Meant to be fun and meant to have a good time. I think that is the most excellent advice. Thank you so much for joining us, Matt. If you want to check out more of Matt's work, you can find him on Instagram as Chef Matt Basile. He also has two books out, I believe. He is the author of the Canadian bestseller Street Food Diaries. And his second cookbook, Brunch Life, has also been uh, nominated in 2018 for a Taste Canada Award and a World Gourmand Award. So pretty cool. And if you want to see him on telly, he um, hosted two seasons of Rebel Without a Kitchen on Netflix. Now, Maroki, I know at the beginning you talked a little bit about your experience with barbecue. I really want to hear this story. Yeah, Texas. So I've always heard amazing things about Texas barbecue, but I don't eat that much barbecue because it comes in enormous portions and I don't have an enormous stomach. But I thought if I'm if I'm here, I got to find out what the hype is all about. So we visited two places in Dallas. One was called Pecan Lodge or Pecan Lodge, as they pronounce it over there, and also Terry Black's. And then I went to Hill Country to another place called Salt Licks Barbecue, which is also famous and uh, right beside a winery. So yeah, um, if you're a wine traveler, you can also go check out wineries in Texas. And I would say it was worth the hype. It was absolutely worth the hype. There are so, you know, I, I think... Everything's you know, bigger in Texas, right? Everything is bigger in Texas, but I think that's what makes good barbecue. They have the space to have these enormous, you know, pits, and then they just give so much love to it. Like it, it, for them, it's a craft, right? They hold that it. craft. Yeah. The best. I mean, I did Route 66 for an article I wrote for uh, Metro Newspapers uh, like many years ago, and I ate barbecue in virtually every state between Toronto and California. And the my, my takeaway, if you're going to the state seat barbecue, is order the whole menu. Don't come with a small appetite because every place is pretty good, but every, no place does everything well. There's always a standout on every menu. We did do the trough. <laughs> we did do the trough. Now, when we come back, we're going to be going to the other side from the um, the great barbecue pits of North America to some white tablecloths. And we're going to dive into a little bit of the Michelin Guide that recently came to Toronto. And is it worth the hype and the money? So stick around past the break. This is Andre Peru and Maroki Tong on Tasting Together 640 Toronto. You're listening to Tasting Together, Toronto's news, today's talk, 640 Toronto. Welcome back to Tasting Together. I'm your host, Andre Pru, joined by my co-host, Maroki Tong, on 640 Toronto. I know that this next topic is a little bit of old news for people, but it's something Maroki and I have been kicking around um, preparing for the shows here, is especially around this time of year, when, when people are starting to think more about going out, seeing family, seeing friends, maybe doing something special, is uh, that the Michelin Guide has uh, recently come to Toronto. Did, did you have a chance to take a look at the Michelin Guide, Maroki? 
very very briefly i will fully admit that it's i these days i don't really use guidebooks to determine where i'm going to eat um i know for one my fomo gets really intense <laughs> and secondly i also want i like discovering unknown places so sometimes when a place becomes known i have this like weird rebellious nature where i'm like well i don't want to look at it then but that being said um, it was just my birthday, and so next week I actually will be going to one of the restaurants that got a star um, called Quetzal, I believe. Oh. I believe it's Mexican cuisine. Oh, I'm not familiar with the restaurant. Like I had a chance to look at the at the list, and it was. I thought the whole list was just very fascinating with who got stars and who got mentioned. Um, and one thing that I I was actually kind of when I heard the Michelin Guide was coming to Toronto. I, I was sitting there discussing with uh, some of my other friends and some other chefs in the city. It's just like who in the city would be getting three stars, which is the the top of the guide. And, um, you know, I couldn't think of a single restaurant in the city that would be worthy of three stars. And it turns out I was, I was correct about that. I was actually even surprised that we had a restaurant that got two stars and that's a uh, sushi Misaki Saito. Um, which I'd actually never heard of until the guide came out. It's got two Michelin stars on 88 Avenue Road in the in the city. I guess it's one of those moments where, you know, I, I think, you know, within, at least within our group, or at least in, in hospitality, I know there's some mixed opinions with regards to the Michelin guide and whether or not it actually means something or, you know, we don't necessarily want to judge restaurants simply by one set of standards alone but you know as you said if you've not heard of a restaurant until the moment it wins a star it does help raise the profile and put a place on the map too and i think that means a lot in in you know for a restaurant right if you have that level of success that could really push you to the next level um so there's like there's like good and bad sides i think when it comes to having grading systems like this oh 100 percent. i i think when you take a look at how food culture and like food network culture has evolved, it's sort of like there's certain restaurants where you can tell that they're, they're aiming to be in the guide just based on the way they, they put their menus together, the way they put their food together. I'm taking a look here at, at Quetzal. I'm sure I'm saying it wrong. So I apologize to there on, uh, on college street, the photos look insane here. So I guess I got sidetracked uh, midpoint here, just thumbing through the guide. You talking about going there for your birthday. What made you choose this restaurant as your destination for your birthday dinner? Um, well, one, my partner decided. So okay. you might have to bring it up with him. Two, you know, we like exploring different cultures in cuisine. I think that's something that goes without saying uh, when it comes to my palate. And we eat, you know, I, I, I love my Eurocentric food. It's very true. Um, but when it came to the guide, we want to find something that was uh, that was different, right? There were a lot of sushi restaurants that, that got a star and not to not to diminish their quality. But, you know, if I'm going to if I'm going to do something that's going to tantalize my palate to the absolute max, I want to try something that I don't eat too often. And seeing a Mexican restaurant make it and win a star, I think, is really really great right like when we had that conversation with trey a couple weeks ago and talking about putting jamaican cuisine on the map and kind of you know saying that why can't there be luxury foods uh and, and fine dining in certain cultures i you know for me seeing a place like quetzal hit the michelin guide is it's one of those places yeah i mean you're referring to our conversation with trey sanderson who was the winner of uh top chef canada a few weeks ago and i think that was a very good point it was actually something 
I wasn't really surprised about with the Michelin Guide, but it's, it's something where when I talk to people from outside of Canada and we talk about cuisine, I love visiting France, I love visiting Italy, I love visiting those European countries, but like when you get off the plane in Rome or in Napoli or in Paris or Lyon, you have a very good idea of what to expect for cuisine. When I have friends who are from those countries coming to North America and they're asking what Canadian cuisine looks like, I think this Michelin Guide is definitely a reflection of that. That I don't think there's any restaurants that's really labeled as Canadian. I'm, I'm taking a look at the list of the categories as set by the guide. American, Asian, barbecue, Chinese, contemporary, deli, dumplings, Egyptian, French. Like The word Canadian doesn't even appear in this guide. Hmm. What would you consider a Canadian cuisine? I don't know if it's something that's really well-defined because Canada is a sum of its immigrant past, right? Mm -hmm. I, I think about the, the cuisine that rolls around in, in my house. Um, my grandmother was a first-generation Canadian from Hungary, and I don't speak a single word of Hungarian, but I'd make a decent paprikash because I'd learned my grandma's recipes. Uh, but apart from that, you know, the, the French-Canadian may make a decent tourtière, but like, oh, I, guess, I guess maybe some of the French-Canadian cuisine could be considered Canadian, but it, it, I don't think it's at the point where, for the most part, it's been really elevated like a lot of these other styles of cuisine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, going back to the decision for Quetzal, because I think this is an interesting question to ask. So one, another one of the reasons why we did decide on Quetzal as well is that when we looked at the menus in comparison to some of the other menus, um, you know, its prices didn't sound like they were going to set my wallet on fire and then throw it out the window <laughs> violently. And I think when we look at things like Michelin guides or when we think about things like fine dining, we definitely do think it's a place where we might have to empty our wallets. You know, it's one of those special occasions and we have, you know, we're not afraid to spend a few extra dollars. And I, I guess my question to you, Andre, is, is like, do you think like when you go to fine dining and when you go to a Michelin star restaurant, is it worth the money you're spending? Um, sometimes. I mean, I, I guess this is where I was asking the question about how you made the decision to choose Quetzal. Is it just like something like the Michelin Guide? I'm not sure if it's made for locals as much as it's made for tourists, right? Mm, interesting. I know I'm sort of sidestepping your sidestepping your question a bit, <laughs> but I'm still just like thinking about like how you chose how you chose this. I'm just thinking about my own reaction to when the guide came out where it's just like, I think it, I think I was a little bit cynical, just like, because I use the Michelin guide to, to travel. And yeah, I'm disappointed when I set foot in a restaurant and I don't get my money's worth, especially if I've used the, use the Michelin guide, but I've discovered some really great restaurants using this guide. A restaurant called Senses in Warsaw, Poland was one of the most incredible meals that I've ever had in my entire life. Uh, it was like 12 courses, uh, wine to match. It was something I went on for my honeymoon. The meal cost us about $750 total with the food and the wine. And I left that place completely satisfied. But at the same time, like it was definitely not something that I could experience in Toronto. And I remember some of the little like fine details that I think are missing with a lot of the fine dining in Toronto. Like between our, our entree and dessert, they brought us what looked like a little pill on a on a plate, like a candied pill like the size of a sweet tart or a rocket. And they poured a little bit of hot water on it and it expanded into a napkin. Oh, yes. Yes, I know those. Ah, and it's just like I'd never seen anything like that before in my life. And like the, the, the quality of serving, because it was in Warsaw and not in New York or Los Angeles or Paris, it's just like the hospitality was really more warm and, and caring. So yeah, it was $750. I'm sure a lot of people 
listening to the radio are probably thinking that's an insane amount of money to spend on a meal, but I think it was worth every dollar. Is it something that I can do every week? 100% no. And I think that's why guides like this are important because like they do have a method in how, how you put them together. And it's just like, I think when you're choosing a restaurant to eat in the Michelin Guide, it, it really is like you have to go in with the mindset of it being dinner and a show and not just, um, not just um, where am I going to go nourish myself where am i gonna go get my energy for the next meal i'm not grabbing booster juice from the the michelin guide Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and maybe you know broadening from the michelin guide and just talking about going out for a nice dinner in general when we're saying whether a restaurant is worth it is we you know we do have to take consideration that some you're going to sometimes visit places that are more expensive just because of the location in toronto i find historically visiting a place on king west the restaurants there just are more expensive and you know likely brings in a very specific kind of clientele if you're in the financial district in toronto things are going to be priced a little bit higher whereas if you're if you're you know probably farther out in etobicoke you might get something that is of a similar caliber for a little bit less definitely and i mean just talking about the michelin guide specifically it's, it's one of my favorite things about how the guide is set up is they have a category called bib gourmand and what that means is you're getting really good food at a really good price that's worth the destination. And to see some of the great restaurants like Indian Street Food Company, Enoteca Social, uh, Bar Raval listed in this category, it's just, you know, it does make me feel like the guide is doing something right. And if you are traveling outside of Toronto, it's definitely a great category to make sure you're getting a good meal at a fair price if you don't feel like spending $750 on dinner and a show. Well, talking about baller food and cuisine, when we come back after the break, we're going to be chatting with Danny Longo and possibly gossiping about a really, really big dinner that happened very recently at Buckingham Palace. So stay tuned on 640 Toronto. Welcome back to Tasting Together. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Welcome back, everyone, to Tasting Together at 640 Toronto. I'm Maroki Tong, and I'm always joined by my co-host, Andre Pru. And now coming on board is Danny Longo, news anchor at 640 Toronto. Hey, Danny, fellow drinking companion. Great to be back. Thank you. I have some things I want to gossip about with you today. Perfect. <laughs> I love gossip. Just I read this article over the weekend. I believe that... Um, King Charles just had his first state banquet. It's still weird saying King Charles, you know? I've said it many times over the last few yeah, months. Of course so you have. <laughs> I adapt really quickly. All right. So what happened what happened at the banquet? We let, let's get to the let's get to the good stuff too, because I think I know what you're talking about, Maroki, because I saw this same article as well. Yes. So they discussed the wines that were opened at the banquet, and I, I I'm I'm not gonna lie, I was a little bit disappointed. I was actually I'm I'm on the same page with you with you Maroki. I'm personally not a big fan of the Royals, but I am always a big fan of everything when it comes to wine and food. So I definitely was paying attention to the wine list at this banquet and I don't know when when you're the king of the commonwealth, I expect to be looking down my glass in front of me and making sure that nobody else can enjoy what I'm having, because I'm the freaking king, right? I would agree with that, for sure. Well, you know, and not I, I'm not, like, a person that just loves just random fanfare. I know, you know, when they had 
Kate Middleton's wedding, every, you know, but like part of the glory is like, everyone's like, oh my God, look at her dress. It's so, you know, I, I'm someone who loves the bridal industry a lot. So I just love seeing just things that I, you know, it's like living vicariously a little bit, right? You see this beautiful wedding ceremony and you go, wow, how, how wonderful. And when I'm looking at a, the state banquet, I'm thinking, I want to see wines that I will never, ever see in my life and just have this moment where I'm like, oh, wow, like that's a thing. They're drinking that thing. I agree 100% with Maroki. It's it's one of those things where exactly if 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 I'm going to be at the king's banquet, I want to drink something that no one else can get their hands on. And like all of these things, I would love to have for sure everything on this list, which I'm sure you'll go through in a minute, Andre. Yes. But but it, it's like one of those things where I could buy those if I really wanted to. Totally. Nothing more than $300, right? That's it. Actually, full disclosure, the the most expensive bottle that I was able to do a quick Google search when we were putting this segment together is uh, a Chateau Fete Clinet Pomerol. So that's right bank Bordeaux from the year 2000. Um, and newer vintages of this wine go for about $180. And I know that there's... This is going to be a surprise to some people listening in the car, but $180 is actually not that much money for a bottle of Bordeaux, especially really good Bordeaux. Well, you know, if you think about the Dom Perignon Lady Gaga collaboration last year, those bottles alone were over $300. And I don't think there was a bottle that was over $300 on this list. There was not. There, so another bottle that I thought was fascinating... Um, Taylor's Vintage Port. Uh, so in in the Ontario, in the Canadian market, it's actually called Taylor Fladgate. Uh, we can buy late bottled Vintage Port, which is not the same thing for about $20 a bottle. Vintage Port is something that port houses make in outstanding years. I was born in 1983, so of course it was a good year. And that was the year that uh, this port was served from. You can pick up bottles of this, it looks like for about $162 a bottle from the 1983 Vintage. Well, there you have it. I guess uh, if we wanted to dine and drink like the Royals, we can all go pick up a bottle ourselves from the LCBO. One bottle that did raise my eyebrows a bit that I think is fascinating, I think a lot of people in Canada aren't aware of, is a Ridgeview Blanc de Blanc. This is a sparkling wine made from Chardonnay from the vineyards of England. Have you ever had uh, sparkling wine or any sort of wine from England, Danny? I don't think so. No, I definitely do not think so. I got some family in Europe. We do French wines. We do Italian, Portuguese, Spanish wines, but uh, no, nothing from England. How about you, Maroki? I don't think so either. Now, I have a lot of um, British wine blogger friends, and I regularly envy watching them attend events because, you know, as someone who does a lot of my tourism through food and drink, I, I think it's fascinating. I've studied in the UK before and i've definitely been to england several times so it's it's actually it makes me really sad that i've never had the chance to witness british wine have you andre have you had british wine english wine yeah there's um there's a producer called balfour that's come through the lcbo a couple of times and the, the nice thing about it is because the industry is so new and also i guess just i guess untested in the market about 40 dollars a bottle is is what i was looking at here and uh it was very very good um and it's something that I love is when you can find regions that are making sparkling wine in a champagne style, which is different than Prosecco. Uh, I'm always drawn to that. So um, I think it's cool. I think it's 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 one thing. This is affordable. I think it's probably great for the, the winery Ridgeview. I'll, I'll bet you none of us will be able to get our hands on this bottle for a long time, given that the king is drinking it. Um, about 60 pounds a bottle where it is right now. And uh, yeah, I mean, good for them. Well, good for them for supporting local. 
in the meantime, over here, I think some of us may be doing a little bit of travel over the holidays. Um, I know I've traveled across the border recently <laughs> and did some uh, wine tourism in the Finger Lakes. That's only about a four-hour drive from Toronto. And I came back with my little collection of wines and declared at the border and had to pay a whole ton of duties on it. So let me ask, how many bottles did you come back with? I came back with, I think, 17 bottles and I had to declare 13 of them. Okay, yes. Yeah, that, that makes it so when you travel, you get two bottles duty free, one bottle of spirits, I think 24 cans of, of beer. So that makes it so what was the duty that you had to pay? So I bought, so I think the value of my wines was $450 total and I had to pay $250 in duties. So that's the HST, they charge you taxes and then it's a 40% markup for wine in Ontario. Now, Danny, you recently traveled to, to Portugal and did a little bit of, of wine travel as well. Did you bring anything back with you? I did bring some stuff back. It brought back six bottles actually, um, which was, I guess, two more than we were allowed, but uh, we did. When we were asked, we said we have three bottles because we each brought back three. And uh, they said, okay, that's fine. And they just kind of let us go. This is my very first time having to actually pay duties on any um, alcohol I've ever bought around the world, ever. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly something that's frustrating as someone who does a lot of, of wine travel as well. And I, I always go over my limit and I'm very conscientious about declaring them just because I don't want to have to open my suitcase and explain, oh, I didn't know there were 10 bottles in there when I told you there was only two. Um, but I, I mean, it is something that is a little bit a little bit frustrating. So this is something I just want to tell the listeners. So when you travel into Canada and you are over your limit, if they do decide to charge you duty, you are looking at paying about 50% the value of the bottle. The good news is if you keep that in mind while you're traveling, you can still get some good deals on wine. One of my favorites is the Ridge Estates Cabernet Sauvignon. It's a Californian wine. In the States, it retails for about $50 US. So on a good exchange, you're looking at like $65, uh, $65 Canadian. Um, and in Canada, the LCBO, this wine will sometimes go for $110, $120 a bottle. So even if you end up paying duty on this, you're still getting a bit of a deal. Yeah, well, it's the same as when you travel to Portugal or Spain or Italy, France, a lot of these countries that have incredible production that is sold at a fraction of the price it is in Canada and or the production that you'll just never, ever see. Right. Yeah. So even once you factor in the customs and duties, it's probably still worth um, paying duties on now. The Finger Lakes was a bit of a different situation. They're a little bit more of that fine wine production pricing, especially as an emerging region. Um, you know, I would put their pricing a lot more similar to what we're buying locally. Um, and when you add the duties on top of that, that bottle that probably was worth the, what I paid, the $25 to $30 range is now a $50 to $60 bottle. And that really changes our my perspective on when I want to drink it. No, for sure. For us, when we were traveling, one of the things I did was I went to the LCBO website to see if the bottles that I was buying when I was overseas, could I buy them when I get back home? Because if I could, I'd be like, I'll just buy something else because you have that limit mm -hmm. of like two bottles. So I, we were trying to be very conscientious and make sure we got bottles that were not being sold at the LCBO. So that was something that, you know, was worth bringing back. Yeah, yeah. We're just coming to the end of Tasting Together for this week. We did not talk about wine and turkey yet again but i think we're getting close to i'm being backed into a corner where since this is a show about food and beverage 
Maroki, do you think we have to talk about it next week? We're gonna have to talk about the holiday pairings at some point. Maybe it's not turkey. What Andre, would it make would it make you feel better if we talked about like I don't know, wine and brisket pairings? Yes. Wine and and latka pairings. Yes. Maybe. There you go. There you go. Ham. There you go. There's yes. there's opportunities there. There's opportunities outside of always coming up with that, you know, uh, I don't know, twenty five under twenty five ballers to pair with turkey. Well we're past the turkey. Danny, thanks again for joining us. Thanks to Chef Matt Basile for joining us earlier. And thanks to you for listening until next week at 5 o'clock on 640 Toronto. This has been Tasting Together.